Preface of Apologia Pro Vita Sua. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill McGilvery. Apologia Pro Vita Sua by John Henry Cardinal Newman. The following history of my religious opinions now that it is detached from the context in which it originally stood, requires some preliminary explanation, and that, not only in order to introduce it generally to the reader, but specially to make him understand how I came to write a whole book about myself, and about my most private thoughts and feelings. Did I consult indeed my own impulses, I should do my best simply to wipe out of my volume and consigned to oblivion, every trace of the circumstances to which it is to be ascribed. But its original title of Apologia is too exactly borne out by its matter and structure, and these again are too suggestive of correlative circumstances, and those circumstances are of too grave a character to allow of my indulging so natural a wish. And therefore, Though in this new edition I have managed to omit nearly a hundred pages of my original volume, which I could safely consider to be of merely ephemeral importance, I am even for that very reason obliged, by way of making up for their absence, to prefix to my narrative some account of the provocation out of which it arose. It is now more than twenty years that a vague impression to my disadvantage has rested on the popular mind, as if my conduct towards the Anglican Church, while I was a member of it, was inconsistent with Christian simplicity and uprightness. An impression of this kind was almost unavoidable under the circumstances of the case, when a man who had written strongly against a cause, and had collected a party round him by virtue of such writings, gradually faltered in his opposition to it, unsaid his words, threw his own friends into perplexity, and their proceedings into confusion, and ended by passing over to the side of those whom he had so vigorously denounced. Sensitive, then, as I have ever been, of the imputations which have been so freely cast upon me, I have never felt much impatience under them, as considering them to be a portion of the penalty which I naturally and justly incurred by my change of religion, even though they were to continue as long as I lived. I left their removal to a future day, when personal feelings would have died out, and documents would see the light which were as yet buried in closets or scattered through the country. This was my state of mind, as it had been for many years, when, in the beginning of 1864, I unexpectedly found myself publicly put upon my defense, and furnished with an opportunity of pleading my cause before the world, and, as it so happened, with a fair prospect of an impartial hearing. Taken indeed by surprise, as I was, I had much reason to be anxious how I should be able to acquit myself in so serious a matter. However, 
I had long had a tacit understanding with myself that, in the improbable event of a challenge being formally made to me by a person of name, it would be my duty to meet it. That opportunity had now occurred. It never might occur again. Not to avail myself of it at once would be virtually to give up my cause accordingly. I took advantage of it, and as it turned out, the circumstance that no time was allowed me for any studied statements has compensated in the equitable judgment of the public for such imperfections in composition as my want of leisure involved. It was in the number of January 1864 of a magazine of wide circulation and in an article upon Queen Elizabeth that a popular writer took occasion formally to accuse me by name of thinking so lightly of the virtue of veracity as in set terms to have countenanced and defended that neglect of it which he at the same time imputed to the catholic priesthood his words were these quote, truth for its own sake had never been a virtue with the roman clergy father newman informs us that it need not and on the whole ought not to be that cunning is the weapon which heaven has given to the saints wherewith to withstand the brute male force of the wicked world which marries and is given in marriage whether his notion be doctrinal correct or not it is at least historically so these assertions going far beyond the popular prejudice entertained against me had no foundation whatever in fact i never had said i never had dreamed of saying that truth for its own sake need not and on the whole ought not to be a virtue with the roman clergy or that cunning is a weapon which heaven has given to the saints wherewith to withstand the wicked world to what work of mine then could the writer be referring in a correspondence which ensued upon the subject between him and myself he rested his charge against me on a sermon of mine preached before i was a catholic in the pulpit of my church at oxford and he gave me to understand that after having done as much of this he was not bound over and above such a general reference to my sermon to specify the passage of it in which the doctrine which he imputed to me was contained on my part i considered this not enough and i demanded of him to bring out his proof of his accusation in form and in detail or to confess he was unable to do so but he preserved in his refusal to cite any distinct passage from any writing of mine and though he consented to withdraw his charge he would not do so on the issue of its truth or falsehood but simply on the ground that i assure him that i had had no intention of incurring it this did not satisfy my sense of justice formally to charge me with committing a fault is one thing to allow that i did not intend to commit it is another it is no satisfaction to me if a man accuses me of this offence for him to profess that he does not accuse me of that but he thought differently not being able then to gain redress 
in the quarter where i had a right to ask it i appealed to the public i published the correspondence in the shape of a pamphlet with some remarks of my own at the end on the course which that correspondence had taken this pamphlet which appeared in the first week of february received a reply from my accuser towards the end of march in another pamphlet of forty-eight pages entitled what then does mr newman mean in which he professed to do that which i had called upon him to do that is he brought together a number of extracts from various works of mine catholic and anglican with the object of showing that if i was to be acquitted of the crime of teaching and practising deceit and dishonesty according to his first supposition it was at the price of my being considered no longer responsible for my actions for as he expressed it i had a human reason once no doubt but i had gambled it away and i had worked my mind into that morbid state in which nonsense was the only food for which it hungered and that it could not be called a hasty or far-fetched or unfounded mistake when he concluded that i did not care for truth for its own sake or teach my disciples to regard it as a virtue and though too many prefer the charge of insincerity to that of incipience dr newman seemed not to be of that number he ended his pamphlet by returning to his original imputation against me which he had professed to abandon alluding by anticipation to my probable answer to what he was then publishing he professed his heartfelt embarrassment how he was to believe anything i might say in my exculpation in the plain and literal sense of the words i am henceforth he said in doubt and fear as much as an honest man can be concerning every word dr newman may write how can i tell that i shall not be the dupe of some cunning equivocation of one of these kinds laid down as permissible by the blessed saint alfonso da ligure and his pupils even when confirmed with an oath because then we do not deceive our neighbours but allow him to deceive himself how can i tell that i may not in this pamphlet have made an accusation of the truth of which dr newman is perfectly conscious and that as i a heretic protestant have no business to make it he has a full right to deny it even if i could have found it consistent with my duty to my own reputation to leave such an elaborate impeachment of my moral nature unanswered my duty to my brethren in the catholic priesthood would have forbidden such a course they were involved in the charges which this writer all along from the original passage in the magazine to the very last paragraph of the pamphlet had so confidently so pertinaciously made in exculpating myself it was plain i should be pursuing no mere personal quarrel i was offering my humble services to a sacred cause i was making my protest in behalf of a large body of men of higher character of honest and religious minds and of sensitive honour who had their place and their right in this world though they were ministers of the world unseen and who were 
insulted by my accuser as the above extracts from him sufficiently show not only in my person but directly and pointedly in their own accordingly i at once set about writing the apologia pro vita sua of which the present volume is a new edition and it was a great reward to me to find as the controversy proceeded such large numbers of my clerical brethren supporting me by their sympathy in the course which i was pursuing and as occasion offered bestowing on me the formal and public expression of their appropriation these testimonials in my behalf so important and so grateful to me are together with the letter sent to me with the same purpose from my bishop contained in the last pages of this volume this edition differs from the first form of the apologia as follows the original work consisted of seven parts which were published in series of consecutive thursdays between april twenty one and june second an appendix in answer to specific allegations urged against me in the pamphlet of accusation appeared on june sixteenth of these part one and part two as being for the most part directly controversial are omitted in this edition excepting certain passages in them which are subjoined to this preface as being necessary for the due explanation of the subsequent five parts these parentheses being three four five six seven of the apologia close parentheses are here numbered as chapters one two three four five respectively of the appendix about half has been omitted for the same reason as had led to the omission of parts one and two the rest of it is thrown into the shape of notes of a discursive character with two new ones on liberalism in the lives of the english saints of eighteen forty three eighteen forty four and another new in part on ecclesiastical miracles in the body of the work the only addition of consequence is a letter which is found on page two twenty eight a copy of which has recently come into my possession i should add that since writing the apologia last year i have seen for the first time mr oakley's notes on the tactarian movement this work remarkably corroborates the substance of my narrative while the kind terms in which he speaks of me personally call for my sincere gratitude may second eighteen sixty five i make these extracts from the first edition of my apologia part one page three pages twenty to twenty five and part two pages twenty nine to thirty one and pages forty one to fifty one in order to set before the reader the drift i had in writing my volume i cannot be sorry to have forced my accuser to bring out in fullness his charges against me it is far better that he should discharge his thoughts upon me in my lifetime than after i am dead under the circumstances i am happy in having the opportunity of reading the worst that can be said of me by a writer who has taken pains with his work and is well satisfied with it i account it again to be surveyed 
from without by one who hates the principles which are nearest to my heart has no personal knowledge of me to set right his misconceptions of my doctrine and who has some motives or other to be as severe with me as he can possibly be but i really feel sad for what i am obliged now to say i am in warfare with him but i wish him no ill it is very difficult to get up resentment towards persons whom one has never seen it is easy enough to be irritated with friends or foes vis-a-vis but though i am writing with all my heart against what he has said of me i am not conscious of personal unkindness towards himself i think it necessary to write as i am writing for my own sake and for the sake of the catholic priesthood but i wish to impute nothing worse of him than that he has been furiously carried away by his feelings yet what i shall say of the upshot of all this talk of my economies and equivocations and the like what is the precise work which it is directed to effect i am at war with him but there is such a thing as legitimate warfare war has its laws there are things which may fairly be done and things which may not be done i say it with shame and with stern sorrow he has attempted a great transgression he has attempted as i may call it to poison the wells i will quote him and explain what i mean he says i am henceforth in doubt and fear as much as any honest man can be concerning every word dr newman may write how can i tell that i shall not be the dupe of some cunning equivocation of one of the three kinds laid down as permissible by blessed alfonso d'allegori and his pupils even when confirmed by an oath because then we do not deceive our neighbor but allow him to deceive himself it is admissible therefore to use words and sentences which have a double signification and leave the hapless hearer to take which of them he may choose what proof have i then that by mean it i never said it dr newman does not signify i did not say it but i did mean it Close quote. now these insinuations and questions shall be answered in their proper place here i will but say that i scorn and detest lying and quibbling and double-tongued practice and slyness and cunning and smoothness and cant and pretense quite as much as any protestant hates me and i pray to be kept from the snare of them but all this is just now by the by my present subject is my accuser what i insist upon here is this unmanly attempt of his in his concluding pages to cut the ground from under my feet to poison by anticipation the public mind against me john henry newman and to infuse into the imaginations of my reader suspicion and mistrust of everything that i may say in reply to him this i call poisoning the wells i am henceforth in doubt and fear he says as much as any honest man can be concerning every word dr newman may write how can i tell that i shall not be the dupe of some cunning equivocation well 
I can only say that, if his thought is to take effect, I am but wasting my time in saying a word in answer to his calumnies, and this is precisely what he knows and intends to be its fruit. I can hardly get myself to protest against a method of controversy so base and cruel, least in doing so I should be violating my self-respect and self-possession, but most base and most cruel it is. We all know how our imagination runs away with us, how suddenly and at what a pace the saying, Caesar's wife should not be suspected, is an instance of what I mean. The habitual prejudice, the humor of the moment, is the turning point which leads us to read a defense in a good sense or a bad. We interpret it by our antecedent impressions. The very same sentiment, according to our jealousy, is or is not awake, or our adversion stimulated, are tokens of truth or of dissimulation and pretense. There is a story of a sane person being by mistake shut up in the wards of a lunatic asylum, and that, when he pleads his cause to some strangers visiting the establishment, the only remarks he elicits in answer was, how naturally he talks, you would think he was in his senses. Controversies should be decided by the reason. Is it legitimate warfare to appeal to the misgivings of the public mind and to its dislikings? Anyhow, if my accuser is able thus to practice upon my readers, the more I succeed, the less will be my success. If I am natural, he will tell them, Ars est celere artem. If I am convincing, he will suggest that I am an able logician. If I show warmth, am acting the indignant innocent. If I am calm, I am thereby detected as a smooth hypocrite. If I clear up difficulties, I am too plausible and perfect to be true. The more triumphant are my statements, the more certain will be my defeat. So will it be if my accuser succeeds in his maneuver, but I do not for an instant believe that he will. Whatever judgment my readers may eventually form of me from these pages, I am confident that they will believe me in what I shall say in the course of them. I have no misgivings at all, that they will be ungenerous or harsh towards a man who has been so long before the eyes of the world, who has so many to speak of him from personal knowledge, whose natural impulse it has ever been to speak out, who has ever spoken too much rather than too little, who would have saved himself many a scrap if he had been wise enough to hold his tongue, who has ever been fair to the doctrines and arguments of his opponents, who has never slurred over facts and reasoning which told against himself, who has never given his name or authority to proof which he thought unsound, or to testimony which he did not think at least plausible, who has never shrunk from confessing a fault when he felt that he had committed one, who has ever consulted for others more than for himself, who has given up much that he loved and prized and could have retained, but that he loved honesty better than name, and truth 
better than dear friends. End of Preface Part 1